All right, this is our lecture on Paul's epistle to the Colossians. And so Colossians is kind of an interesting book. There's a little bit of debate uh, over it because no one really knows, no one can really pinpoint easily the the group that Paul's referring to when he is kind of, he's kind of writing against a particular set of beliefs. And they they sound really like, kind of mishmash together like they sound a little bit like greek thinking like gnosticism they also sound a little bit jewish and so he's uh, so it's hard to pinpoint exactly who this group of people was it doesn't mean they didn't exist because obviously they exist because there's a letter written regarding them but um, it just makes it kind of hard to pinpoint. Like, not like with Galatians, we know, okay, about the Judaizers, people that were going around saying, you know, you need to be circumcised in order to be justified. We, we know from other evidence in the New Testament that those people existed. But with these Colossians, we don't really know. And so there's this kind of, you know, mystery out there. What, what was the Colossian heresy, you know, uh, because it just seems hard to to figure out but anyway paul is writing this letter to the church of Colossae, and it's written around the same time as philippians and it is also one of the prison epistles and uh written in the early 60s again that time at the book at the end of the book of acts where paul was probably in rome uh, though there are lots of different uh, there are several different views. Your your book talks about the different views of uh, where the book could be written from. One of the things, if you're going to think about Colossians, you're going to you want to think about this idea of the cosmic Christ. So, as we've been going through this class, we've been able we've talked about Christology, right, and different ways that people think about or the New Testament talks about Jesus. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, a very human uh, perspective on Jesus. Christology from below, right? John, a very uh, God's eye view perspective on Jesus. Who was Jesus in his uh, in his divine identity? That that John kind of came to this conclusion after a long time reflecting on it. He reflected on the things Jesus said, and he is uh, giving us this high Christology, Christology from from above. And so in Paul. What we mostly actually get is closer to this pers this uh, Christology from above perspective, this um, kind of uh, idea of of you know yes you know Jesus was a, a man but he also is God and so focusing maybe a little bit thinking about the the God's eye view of Jesus and the the kind of Div divine perspective focusing on that as opposed to um, Jesus as he walked the streets of um, of the Middle East of Israel so or the you know the roads the streets whatever um, and so when you think about Colossians you should think about the cosmic Christ and that is because of a passage that we're gonna look at here in Colossians uh, 1 so uh, one of the things to to think about here is that it's really important in uh, Christian thinking historically there has been this close relationship between 
what you think, what you believe, and what you practice. So we would call this orthodoxy, which technically actually means right worship, um, but often people use it to talk about doctrinal doctrinal issues. So right uh, right doctrine, so orthodoxy, and orthopraxy, right actions. And so there's we we maybe want to try and separate those and I think in in modern culture we do separate those a lot so an example would be uh, I don't know if any of you were around when Bill Clinton was president I was young but um, people would make the argument that uh, you know he even though he probably cheated on his wife while he was president with an intern Monica Lewinsky that you know he was actually a really good president and so his um, his actions in one instance shouldn't impact our view of him because he's a good president. I'm not sure. I don't want to argue uh, one way or the other. I, I, I personally like some of the things Bill Clinton did. Like, for example, he was able to balance a budget. But um, definitely not in favor of cheating on your spouse. That's not a good thing. But my point is, I think what Paul would say is, like, how can you try and, and, and separate someone's actions from, from that person? from what they believe. If someone is doing is 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 committing messed up practices, then that means that there there's a source of it in their beliefs that's incorrect as well. And so beliefs don't just exist in your mind, they always find their way out into your actions. And so the very interesting thing about Colossians is it focuses a lot on this on who Jesus is with the idea that it leads to uh, right practice and ethical behavior. And so if we're, the, if we're thinking correctly about Jesus and about his identity, then that's going to impact the way that we follow him, right? That makes sense. And so he is trying to portray this idea of Jesus, who is this cosmic Christ. He's, he is, uh, he is before all creation and everything exists and is sustained because of him. Um, that's not exact that's not the same perspective that we get from Matthew Mark and Luke right and he's he's trying to promote this particular picture of Jesus in order to support his um his ethical teaching so just a fancy theological word for that is paranesis and so you have these doctrinal sections of the book uh that talk about who Jesus is and what they should believe about Jesus and then you have what's called the paranesis and the paranesis is the part where he's saying, therefore, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, think in this way, that kind of thing, based on what I've, I've talked about in this, uh, uh, with respect to doctrine. So, um, what did Paul really care about in Colossians? Paul wrote to the Colossians to, to promote sound thinking about Jesus's identity and encourage faithful obedience to, the, to Paul's gospel, to the gospel that Paul proclaimed, rather than going along with an alternative teaching. Um, yeah, Paul, by Paul's gospel, I, I just mean the one that he preached. I don't mean that it's like actually his, you know, it's, it's the gospel of Jesus. But these other people may have also been saying something about Jesus as well. And so um, I just wanted to specify the, the gospel that Paul preached. So here we have the structure and we're going to walk through the book a little bit. Uh, and uh, and this one is it's a relatively short book, so it shouldn't take very long. But basically we see that there is a church here, he calls them in verse 2, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And remember, we see this 
often in Paul's letters, grace and peace to you. And um, he, in the uh, beginning of chapter 1, talks about how he's heard of them, how he's been joyful. We know from later on in the letter that he hasn't actually been there to see them face to face. But this is where we get in chapter, in, in verse 15 of chapter 1, to this idea of the cosmic Christ. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now stop there firstborn so people would be like so does that mean that jesus was 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 there a time when jesus was not was there a time when that jesus didn't exist if someone is the firstborn like so i think in my family i'm the middle child i have an older brother my older brother is the firstborn there was a time when he didn't exist he was born what what paul is saying in this letter is not that jesus was born he is saying that he is like the same way that in the ancient world and even in today <laughs> um like we uh in the south okay i lived in the south i've lived in two different places i lived in alabama for a year and i lived in texas for six years and in the south the firstborn male child is called bubba often right and so when bubba usually comes with it this idea of you know preeminence in the family like oh he's oh he's bubba he's a bubba that kind of thing and this probably sounds silly but that doesn't necessarily emphasize, it doesn't emphasize the fact that he was born, that he, there was a time when he wasn't, there was a time that it doesn't emphasize that as much as it emphasizes his position within the family, his preeminence within the family. And so you could, you could maybe, this is maybe a stretch, but you could, you could say he is the image of the invisible God, the Bubba of all creation. <laughs> he is the preeminent one. He is the most highly honored one among all creation okay so i'm actually kind of impressed i came up with that bubba thing right on the spot so i, I think it works but i again you know question you know call me on it if you don't think it works for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body the church He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So by firstborn from the dead, they mean that he's, he is the, um, the first to be resurrected as a sign of the new age, uh, the, the resurrection that we've been talking about. Um, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body uh, of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So you get this picture from Colossians that Jesus is this, this, um, he was there at creation. Uh, by him, all things were made. Um, he is the beginning. He's the firstborn of creation. He is the most preeminent. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. By the blood of his cross, we were reconciled. It's all of these things. He's promoting this very high view of Jesus. And so there, so when we're constructing, okay, what was he reacting against? Remember, 
as we did that letter exercise where we were trying to discover what went on between John and Jane, uh, as uh, trying to figure out what was the situation that was behind it, we're doing the same thing here, trying to ask the question, why was Paul writing this? Why was he emphasizing how cosmically great Jesus uh, Jesus is? And and so we think, well, maybe the people who um, who Paul is writing in contrast to who's who were leading the Colossians astray, maybe they had a low view of Jesus, and so in con in in uh, response, he's trying to elevate their view of Jesus, and so he is uh, he talks about his suffering in the latter half of chapter one. He uh, so in chapter 2, verse 1, is where he says that they haven't seen him face to face. And so this is how we know that this is not a church that he has been a part of or that he planted or anything like that. And so it would seem. So it would seem, right? Um, at least that's the way that I'm, that I'm reading that. And so uh, then we get to verse 6, right? He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so he's saying, he's saying that you should stick with the faith you were taught. You shouldn't go to this other, this other faith that someone else is promoting, this Colossian heresy, whatever it is. Verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty uh, deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. I love that. Nailing it to the cross. He nailed our debt to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them, over them in him. And so we start to get this picture of, okay, wait, so it sounds like maybe maybe this has to do a little bit with circumcision, that people are uh, saying that they should be circumcised, because Paul's saying, no, you received a circumcision not of flesh, but of Christ. So basically, that the, the idea is that the sign of circumcision was the thing that brought you into the family of God. That's the thing that said, okay, now I'm a part of God's covenant, I'm a part of God's blessing, I'm gonna, I am uh, justified. Circumcision was a sign of that before Jesus came around, right? He's saying that you've received the same thing, this, this, all those same benefits. You're a part of the people of God. You're justified, except without the without without the literal physical circumcision. It's you have received that sign through your baptism. We talked about this with respect to Romans, right? There was no so, there was no separation between expressing faith in Jesus and baptism and being water baptized immersed. 
um, picturing the death and resurrection of Jesus or your death to sin and life in Christ. There is no, uh, there was no separation of that in the other church. So if you were a Christian, there were no, there were not these Christians in the first century typically floating around that had put faith in Christ but hadn't yet been baptized. It was like, okay, you put faith in Christ, now let's go be baptized. So that was at least the practice of what we see in Acts, right? So Paul is here saying, don't let anyone make you feel like you don't have this this justification or that you still have this debt to God that's been nailed to the cross. You have been made alive in Christ. The same idea that we see in Romans with respect to Jesus's resurrection, um, with Jesus's resurrection, we are also raised with him to walk in the newness of life. That is, um, Paul saying, the, the deal has been sealed. Yes, the deal has been sealed. And so therefore, don't let anyone make you feel like you don't have it just because you don't obey these rituals. Now, there is a little bit of a, so uh, verse 16. Now, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And so he's now saying, let no one pass judgment on you. Don't let anyone make you feel like you're less than because you don't have these, um, you don't have physical circumcision because you don't obey certain festivals or religious rites like the Jews do, for example. Don't let anyone, just, so so a little bit of a similar idea of what we see in Galatians is that no one should make a, the Gentiles feel like they have a lower status within God's people just because they aren't Jewish and because they don't observe these particular rituals and signs. So this is a really important point to get a handle on that Paul really cares about, right? Is there's nothing that should make people feel different just because they are ethnically different or observe different rituals uh, outside of what are prescribed by the uh, by the the teaching of the apostles, which would be typically communion, which is Lord's Supper, uh, also known as, and baptism. So he's saying, let no one pass judgment on you. Now, here's what I want to kind of get at with this is that there are definitely things where we do this in church today. Like I remember just even silly things um, that have come up in my own life where I have judged other people um, thinking, you know, that person must be less righteous than me because, um, for example, for example, I remember this was a big deal for me. My wife often in church will go on her phone and I feel like she's like distracted. And I'm like, man, you are so unspiritual. You're on your phone during church. That's so bad. But then when I ask her, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why were you on your phone all through? Church? I mean, not like, what are you doing? Like, Arr. No, it's just kind of like, well, I was like, what are you up to? And, you know, when we were in church, it seemed like you're on your phone a lot. She's like, oh, she, she'll, she totally made me feel stupid for judging her. Like, oh, well, I, you know, so-and-so was going through a really hard time. And so, I wanted to, you know, tell her that I was praying for her and I wanted to encourage her or something like that. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, try, I'm sinking in my seat going, I'm kind of thinking I'm embarrassed. You know, I, I mean, I didn't tell her that I had been judging her or whatever, but just being embarrassed because I'm like, how petty can you be, Andrew? You know, like, why can't you just trust that your wife is doing something good, uh, you know, with her phone? Like, why do you have to assume that she's, I mean, she probably did, I don't know, check Instagram or something like that, but... Anyway, my point is that there's all these little things 
that we use to try and, and differentiate ourselves, I think, just as humans, there's a human thing we want to often just like one-up other people. And when it comes to our relationship with brothers and sisters within the church, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, then I think that often kind of uh, we apply that same competition type of idea, this inherent competition that all humans have with each other. We apply that idea to our our spiritual our quote-unquote spiritual standing our relationship with jesus or our, our feeling of righteousness so i remember for example when i lived in the south again in texas i would sometimes wear a hat to church i don't church is early in the morning sometimes i don't shower wear a hat you know what i mean and so i'm like i feel like i'm doing people a favor not having to look at you know the situation going on here um and <laughs> and i um and someone was like, what are you like? What are you doing wearing a hat in church? Don't you know you're not supposed to wear a hat in church? And I was like, why? I'm like, I'm like, there are definitely um, passages in the Bible that talk about, you know, praying with your head covered and things like that. Uh, and, and I'm like, but I don't think that has to do with entering a building, right? Like, so I'm outside the building and my hat's on, but when I come in, I have to take it off. Like, so like, is there something special about this building that you're that you are thinking I'm I'm being disrespectful like I don't know like because my culturally for me that was never a thing like taking your hat off like taking your hat off at the dinner table like that just my parents didn't care about that my grandparents didn't care about that and so like I never had one of those experiences where it was like oh my gosh I'm traumatized because I'm wearing a hat at the table I know some people have and that's totally fine but so it was just like a cultural it was a cultural difference and I know people were thinking oh man this guy I mean I heard later they're like oh my gosh this guy's being so disrespectful because he's wearing a hat in church how dare he you know and I'm like um I'm like number one you should just like talk to me about it if you're bothered about it <laughs> but number two um you know, like, I don't, I don't know, like, if, if God is going, like, oh my gosh, like, all those hat people, like, they're, they're, they obviously don't love me at all because they're wearing hats, like, there's a definite, there's a definite cultural element, like, the holy kiss thing, right, that has to do with, um, that where, where, where hats are involved, the same thing with, like, long hair, Paul talks about long hair versus short hair, there's a, there's a cultural thing involved there where we have to kind of go, okay, to what extent does this apply to us today, so anyway, I've heard a lot of different things. I've heard people talk about ripped jeans. Don't wear ripped jeans to church. Um, I've heard people talk about, you know, you have to you have to pray and and thank God before your meal. You can't pray and thank God for the meal while you're eating. To me, that makes a lot more sense. Like if you're like, what am I thanking you for? Maybe this meal stinks. You know, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't matter. I guess is my point. When you thank God for your food, as long as you're doing it, I think that's an important thing to do for sure. But I mean, maybe, I mean, I had a professor in seminary who would say, um, you know, like in my family, we thank God after the meal because then we can actually be specific about what it is we're thanking God for. So we're like, you know, God, thank you so much for that steak. It was amazing. I really enjoyed it. What a blessing from you versus like on the front end, you're going, I'm kind of ranting, sorry, <laughs> on the front end, you're going, um, God, thank you for this steak. I hope it's good. You know, um, I hope I like it. Or on the back end, you're going like, man, that steak was bomb. Thank you, God, for making animals to be, or animals that I can eat and that are tasty. Sorry, vegetarians. I don't know if we have any vegetarians in class. Anyway, 
My point is, we find ways to judge each other. So I think this, for me, would be a practical application of this book, is, uh, is that we shouldn't try to find these ways of trying to one-up each other in terms of our spiritual our spiritual significance, our standing with God, or our feelings of righteousness. I think that that is uh, completely against what Paul and Jesus taught. Paul and Jesus emphasize humility and serving one another and loving one another sacrificially, laying your life down for other people, not spending time figuring out who's more righteous, you know, or whatever. So that's my that's my main takeaway for you from Colossians. I think think about this as well about in in relation to the whole uh right thinking about Jesus leads to right action, right? So we get here to chapter 3 verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, that's when Jesus returns, returns one day from the sky, like we read about in Acts. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Paul keeps talking about the wrath of God coming, and that's that future day of judgment in which he will judge the world by one man, Jesus Christ. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, city, and slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is just like we see in Galatians, all are one in Christ Jesus. Put on then as God's chosen ones, verse 12, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so here we see that strong connection he's trying to make between our thinking about Jesus. This is where we get to... In, at, at the end of verse 11, but Christ is all and in all, right? He's He has this big cosmic picture of Jesus that in Jesus, Jesus is big enough to contain all of these, all of these different groups uh, within, uh, within himself, within his dominion, united in participation with him through faith in him. Jesus is, is, uh, is all and is in all, okay? The um, and he gives these positive exhortations as well, these positive things to do. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So often what's thought about here is that when when Paul does this, it's not always because he feels like, like for example, that the Colossians aren't 
humble, aren't aren't uh, loving each other well necessarily. But he's saying often, I think, the people that are bothering you, they're not exhibiting this, right? They are not showing uh, meekness or humility or love. So he's trying to say these are the signs of following Jesus, right? These are the signs of one who's been made alive uh, with Christ. These other people are not giving this evidence that they have this connection with Jesus, that they have been justified, that they have been made alive together with Jesus. So that is a strike against them. And so therefore, their teaching should be rejected. Again, this is similar to the situation with the Galatians. I think the main difference, though, in the Galatians, Paul was really ticked off. And I think part of that might be because he was there with them in that church. He personally provided them with uh, with a gospel message. And therefore, he felt a real personal connection. And it seemed also that they had been led astray. With the Colossians, we don't know to the extent to which they had been led astray. So that's why we don't get like, oh, foolish Colossians instead of, oh, foolish Galatians, right? So that's one thing. And I think he doesn't have as much of a personal connection, right? Because like we just read earlier, he hasn't seen them face to face. Chapter 2, verse 1. So this is, I think, an important uh, distinction to make in noticing the difference between Paul's letters, right? Galatians, he's, he's super ticked. And in Colossians, he doesn't seem as ticked. He's kind of more worried, I would say, about them and trying to encourage them to make, to, to uh, follow Jesus. So what did I say? To promote sound thinking about Jesus' identity and encourage faithful obedience to Paul's gospel. Okay, so what I would say, what's the central verse in this book? Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And so I think in when he's talking about things that are above, I think he's also considering that... Uh, to include this correct understanding of Jesus as the cosmic Christ, not on earthly things, which the earthly things that, remember, um, are um, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So he's saying, don't focus on those things. Don't pursue those things, but pursue Christ, who is above. That's where your life comes from. That's where your hope is is found is in Jesus and one day that hope will um that hope will become sight isn't say this that's um elsewhere but uh that's another author um our hope will become sight when Jesus returns and to to set the world right when Jesus returns to judge the world and to um uh judge between the righteous and the unrighteous at the resurrection so be interested to see what you think about this connection, I think, between what you think and what you do. I, I be thinking about that because I think that could be lead to an interesting discussion. I know that uh, people also had this uh, same discussion about JFK back in the 60s because people were worried because he, uh, he because he was Catholic. And so, I mean, I, I've got Catholic friends that I love that I, I consider very devout followers of Jesus. So I don't consider Catholicism a problem, I'm not Catholic myself. But um, at the time, people were worried because they thought the president of the United States, you know, uh, could have to take a command from the Pope 
you know, and, and basically JFK said, my beliefs, my personal religious beliefs don't actually have anything to do with my ability to be president. And like, whereas I really, that sounds really cool. Um, I just don't know if I really believe that. I think, I mean, I think that even we see, you know, currently in, in our current presidential administration issues surrounding that, the way that you see the way someone might view something or view a particular group of people works its way out in your actions and the things that you say about them. So all that to say, so the reason I bring up politics is because this is an arena where it happens a lot, where we really want to be like, hey, I may be a dirtbag in my personal life, like, but <laughs> dirtbag sounds so harsh, but using extreme examples or extreme words, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a dirtbag in my personal life, but I can actually be like a really great politician or something like that. And hey, maybe it's true. I kind of beg to differ, though. I think that eventually that dirtbagginess is going to make its way into your politics as well. So be thinking about that, the connection between what you think about Jesus, what you think about um, the world and about people and how you act, because that's that's definitely a significant part of all of Paul's letters. But we also see that here in Colossians.